passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Shortly after we launched our campus, uh, I was helping with teardown um, of all the equipment that we had to tear down each and every Sunday, set up and tear down at the auditorium. And I was wrapping up some cords uh, one, that Sunday after, after the service, and, and uh, there was this eight-year-old boy, uh, many of you probably know who I'm referring to because I've told this story before, uh, who used to attend our church. They, that family has since moved away. This eight-year-old boy comes up to me, and, and he starts making small talk, and he, he says, hey, hey, Pastor Jordan, I got a question for you. I'm like, yeah, sure, what's up? And he said, uh, what, uh, my brother and I, we were, we were wondering, um, what else do you do? I'm like, uh, I don't really know what you mean. And uh, he said, well, we were wondering what your job is. And uh, I said, well, actually, you know, I'm like, this is a great teaching opportunity, right? So I'm like, well, actually, our, our congregation is, is gracious enough to, to allow me to, to be a pastor full time. And his eyes just get huge. And uh, he's like, wow, that's awesome. I want to be a pastor when I grow up. I'm like, and this, like, in that moment, it really hit me because one of my prayers at that point and to this day has been that God would raise up future pastors in our congregation. But, <laughs> but then he said, I mean, who wouldn't want to only have to work two hours a week? I'm like, all right, well, fair enough. A couple years after that, I, was, uh, I had the chance to be the best man in, in a friend's wedding. And uh, when the MC of the reception found out that I was a pastor, he's, he's handing me the mic in front of everyone in this reception. And he says, all right, I know how much you like to talk at people, so make sure that you keep this short. And I, and I didn't know that guy, and I know he was trying to be funny, but, but his language there really just struck me as, as kind of important and, and perceptive of, is this what people think that a pastor does? Is this what people think uh, about, that, I, that I, just, I just talk at people? Is that what we do on Sundays? We just, I mean, what we're doing right now, I'm talking at you. Do I have just simply this platform to pontificate? What is it that a pastor does? What should be a pastor's priority? Or to borrow the language of our sermon series, this faithful to the end as we're going through 2 Timothy, what does it look like for a pastor to be faithful? And that's really Paul's focus in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where we're going to be this morning. What is it that a pastor does? How can a pastor be faithful? So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. We're going to consider verses 1 and 2 this morning, just those two verses. But I want us to read this in the context of verses 1 through 8. We're going to be working through 1 through 8 over the next few weeks, month or so. It's just so rich, so deep, because this is the heart of Paul's final charge to his friend, Timothy. So if you have a Bible, please follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded." 
endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This morning's text is the beginning of Paul's final charge to Timothy, and it's really the heart of this letter. Paul is about to be executed. He's about to be put to death for his faith. And so as he's wrapping up this letter to his friend Timothy, we see this changing of the guard. This is literally the passing of the baton, and he's pleading with Timothy to be a faithful pastor. And while Paul's words to Timothy in this passage um, were originally for just that one young man, it's very clear that, that the focus here is for all who would enter into pastoral ministry, that there are a number of things that will be vying for your attention, that there will always be different opinions on what it means to be faithful But Paul shares what it actually means in God's eyes for a pastor to be faithful. That's Paul's focus in this text this morning. So here's what I want us to do. We have two verses, verses 1 and verse 2. And what we're going to see is that they they reveal both the gravity of the pastor's ministry as well as the heart of the pastor's ministry. So verse 1 looks at the gravity, the seriousness of what a pastor is called to do, and then the second focuses on what exactly is at the heart or the focus of the pastor's ministry. But before we jump in, I want us to just uh, take a moment and and say one word about application. As you think, or as as we work our way through this passage, I want you to think of it through the lens of a wedding or of a child dedication, and I'll I'll explain that here, um, what I mean. When we do child educations here at our church, we ask the parents to bring their children forward, and we pray over them, we dedicate them. But I would argue that the primary focus of that moment is not the pastor dedicating the child. It is instead the parents dedicating themselves to parent that child in a way to know and follow the Lord Jesus. And the same thing is true of a wedding, right? We gather together, and the primary focus isn't necessarily that, that sermon, or, or it's, it's instead to see the vows. It's to say, see these two people make a commitment to one another. And in, in our dedications, when we do those, we have these handful of questions that, that I will ask, or one of the other pastors will ask the parents, charging them to live out their calling faithfully. And when we do those dedications here, When we have the parents come up, those yes or no questions, and and you're sitting in the congregation and you're listening to that, that's not primarily for you. But that doesn't mean that we can tune that out. We're supposed to listen to that because we, in those moments, are reminded of of our own calling, our own responsibility, whether we're parents or not, whether we have children or not, what it is that God has called us to do in the calling that we are in. It also teaches us what God's plan for parenthood is like. And And here's why I bring this up. This passage is a sermon, is a, is, a, is a word from one pastor to another pastor. It's, it's directed to a pastor who is entering into the ministry without his, without his, his, his elder, his, his mentor, who's about to die. 
And as he's giving these words, as I've dwelt over this text the last week, it's, it's, it's comforted me, it's convicted me, it has led to tears of sorrow, it's led to tears of joy, because God in his infinite wisdom has seen fit to include in the Bible a word that is specifically directed to those who are young pastors entering into ministry. And for the vast majority of us here this morning, we're not called into pastoral ministry. It is a unique calling from God that is, that is not for everyone. Charles Spurgeon, I think it was Spurgeon, um, is, is alleged to have said once uh, in a joking way to some people who wanted to become pastors, he basically said, if you can do anything else, do it. And, it, and his focus there was that this isn't something that you do with a half-hearted commitment. This isn't something that you do because you've ran out of other options. This is an all-or-nothing calling or charge to live out. And yet, if, you were a, if you're not a pastor, you're not entering into pastoral ministry, that doesn't mean that this text isn't vital and important for you this morning. You may not be receiving this charge, but through this charge, you can learn what it means to be a faithful pastor. You can learn what, what you should expect from a pastor. Just like with a child dedication or like a wedding, you're not the one making those vows, you're not that one receiving that charge, and yet you can learn something from this. And just like in those moments, we're going to actually end with a couple words uh, of implication for those who aren't entering into pastoral ministry of what, what this means for, for those of you who are like, well, I don't really want to be a pastor. I'm not called to be a pastor. And so we'll take a few moments to look at that at the end of our time this morning. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to this text, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, recognizing that while this message is, is primarily addressed to pastors, those who might be feeling a calling into pastoral ministry, I would actually add elders, the elders of our church, because there's not a clear distinction in the New Testament between our elders and between a pastor. Simultaneously, it is also for all of God's people to further understand God's plan for how salvation works out, how he has structured the church, and how, honestly, you can support pastors as well. So let's go ahead and pray uh, as we jump into this text. But I'm going to break from tradition and say, instead of, would you pray with me, would you pray for me as we look at this passage? So let's pray. God, as, um, as we approach this text this morning, this, um, this really heavy text, I'm I'm reminded of, of the words of the psalmist, um, I think it's Psalm 119, where, where he says, My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your decrees. And God, I, I, I confess that that's me this morning. As we open your word, as we consider what your word has to say about your church, about those who handle the word of God in your church, about those who are in pastoral ministry, I am acutely aware of my own shortcomings. I'm, I'm acutely aware of the ways that I have violated this charge, the ways that I am ill-equipped to serve as a pastor, and yet I rejoice at the same time that while you take seriously the charge of those who would serve as a pastor in the church, you also say those, that you are faithful to begin, a, a, or that you who have began a good work in us are faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. That you've also said that your grace is sufficient for a person such as me. And so I say thank you for that, and I ask that you would help me to proclaim your word faithfully this morning. And God, I want to specifically just pray for those who might be feeling a call into pastoral ministry this morning. 
And God, I ask that you would give them a crystal clear, a a supernatural sense of, of you speaking to them this morning through your spirit. God, I I ask that these would not be my words, that they would be your words instead. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so pastoral ministry is a bit of a paradox. Um, It is the hardest vocation in the world. It is the easiest vocation in the world. It is the most enjoyable vocation in the world. It is the least enjoyable vocation in the world. It is, in many ways, one of the most rewarding vocations in the world and also one of the least rewarding vocations in the world. And as Paul is giving this charge, this final charge to Timothy, he starts by reminding Timothy of the gravity of this calling, the gravity of the calling that God has placed upon Timothy's life and upon pastors' lives as well. Notice notice again, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. So he's, he's even just laying out. He doesn't even get to the charge. He just describes, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm invoking all of these things for this charge. I got two witnesses here. I got God the Father, and I got Jesus Christ. They are witnessing what I am saying. So whatever happens after I die, Timothy, my hands are clean. Because God himself has heard this. Jesus himself has heard this. They are witnesses that I have told you everything that I need to tell you. And we're going to unpack the weight of what he says here in, these, in that verse or in that, that focus with these two witnesses here in a moment. But after he calls that, those two witnesses, he also brings up two unshakable but unrealized future realities. He talks about the return of Jesus And he talks about the eternal kingdom of Jesus. So we'll look at those as well. So we're going to look at at really four uh, pieces of this, the gravity of this calling that uh, is a part of the pastor's ministry. So the first one is this. Ministry is done in the very presence of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so it's done in the presence of God and Jesus, but it's also done for God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So done in the presence of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, done for the presence, or for God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart of his words here when he says, I charge you in the presence of God the Father and the Lord, or and of Christ Jesus. He is reminding Timothy, and, and by extension he's reminding all pastors that their work is done in the presence of God and of Jesus. That God sees Tim, all of Timothy's toil, He sees all the good, and he sees all the bad. He sees the moment where Timothy is pouring everything into his ministry, and he sees the moments where he doesn't really give it the time that it deserves. And Paul is saying, God sees all of that. And I'll just speak from experience. As a pastor, this is a terrifying thought. This is an absolutely terrifying thought, that God sees the commitments that I, Jordan, have made to call people and I have not called them. That God sees the moments where I have committed to confront someone in their sin and have backed away because of fright. That God knows the Sundays where I've gotten up to preach and I've barely prayed in the last week. I'm able to fool everyone else, but God still sees it. It's a terrifying thought. But as a pastor, and again, I speak from experience, this is, this is a beautiful, comforting thought as well, that when a sermon falls flat, that God sees all of the hard work that has gone into it, all of the prayer that has gone into it. When a word comes out wrong and it offends people, God sees the heart behind it. 
That God sees those moments when I'm aware of my inadequacy, when I'm crying out to prayer to him in utter reliance on him for any fruit in, in, in ministry, any sort of transformation in the people of God. God sees that as well. So ministry, all of ministry, both the good and the bad, is done in the presence of God and of Jesus as well. Now, this is a reminder to Timothy that the ministry that he does is ultimately for an audience of one. So not only in the presence of God and Jesus, but also for God and Jesus. And this is an incredible word of encouragement to Timothy here, isn't it? As the situation in Ephesus is, is continuing to deteriorate, as, as things are getting even more and more contentious, it is a reminder that God is the one who declares whether Paul and Timothy are being faithful or not. That at the end of the day, Timothy is not ultimately accountable to the congregation in Ephesus. He's not even ultimately accountable to Paul. He's accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father. That God the Father and the Lord Jesus, they're the ones who will determine whether Timothy has been faithful or not. That God will determine whether or not I have been faithful with my calling here at Crosswinds. The ministry is done in the presence of God and of Jesus, but it's also done for God and Jesus. So there's another implication here. We see this. Second, ministry is done in light of the coming judgment of Christ. Ministry is done in light of the coming judgment of Christ. Notice how Paul describes Jesus here in verse 1. He says, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So not only does Paul remind Timothy that, that Jesus sees everything, but also that Timothy is going to have to give an answer for every part of it. And all of the good will lead to this crown of glory, but he will be held responsible for all of the bad. This is why the Apostle James, he's writing to the church and he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So there's this different level of judgment that God has for those who would teach in his church. Jesus says something similar when he's talking about anyone who would lead his people astray. He writes this, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus says it would be better to die by drowning than to abuse pastoral ministry. One pastor from the 19th century, he put it this way, it would be easier to forgive the murderer who stretches out his hand, pretending to be a friend, but then stabs us in the heart than to forgive the man who comes towards us with smooth words, telling us that he speaks for God, but all the while stirs up rebellion in our hearts and comforts us while we are living in revolt against the majesty of heaven. This is the gravity of pastoral ministry. That there is a judgment that awaits those who are in pastoral ministry. The church is the very bride of Christ, and the Lord is a jealous husband. And if anyone would lead his bride astray, if anyone would soil her, if anyone would take advantage of her, they will pay. And this, of course, includes false teaching, but it also just speaks to those who coast in ministry. Those who don't put their whole effort in. Those who at times are complacent. Those who ignore the hard parts of ministry. Those who cower back because of their, their love for the approval of other people. Those who at times they play favorites. The list could go on and I'm just looking at my own life. 
there is a judgment for those who are in pastoral ministry. And I say this from the bottom of my heart, thank God for the grace of the gospel for imperfect pastors. That the Lord Jesus, the one who judges the living and the dead, will call all of these things into account for the coming judgment of Christ, and yet my status before him does not determine is not dependent upon how faithful of a pastor I've been, but solely on the blood of Jesus. What an incredible gift. Third, ministry is done in light of the reality of Jesus' return. It's done in the light of the reality of Jesus' return. This is what Paul means when he says he's talking about Jesus' appearing. There should be an urgency to pastoral ministry when, when you're handling the word of God. And I don't mean being rushed, but a recognition that Jesus is, is going to return soon and there is still work to do. Uh, I don't remember how long ago it was, but um, I had a friend, it might have actually been my wife, um, tell me, that uh, I need to stop making jokes in my sermon because I'm not funny, which was kind of funny and, and hard to hear. And said, it, there's nothing wrong with telling a funny story every now and then to kind of change the mood or, or to, to get people to, to hear better. But, but when you cut jokes into your sermon, you're not being funny and and if you, if you know me outside of this, I, I can use humor as a way to cut tension. That's one of my, my reflexes in life. And this person, I don't, again, I don't remember who it was, said that I was actually doing that in the pulpit when there was tension, when there was this urgency from the text that we have to respond to the message of the gospel. I was, I was sneaking in humor to make it not that big of a deal. And they said, no, 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 you're, you're ruining the text, you're ruining the heart of what God is trying to do. Hebrews chapter 3 talks about this. It says that there is this moment where we have to respond to the gospel, and when we hear the word, if we feel God calling us to respond today, don't wait until tomorrow to respond. Because who knows if you'll even respond tomorrow. Maybe you'll be gone. Maybe your heart, you're just not going to be into it tomorrow. We all know this. Once we do something that we shouldn't do, it gets easier the next time. And so respond in the moment. And I was losing that urgency. Hebrews chapter 3, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And I think that's what Paul has in mind when he's talking about this urgency of Jesus' return. It's different than being rushed. Jesus waited 30 years until he started his ministry. David was anointed and waited a decade before he became king. Paul ministered in, in obscurity for 15 years before his first missionary journey. It's not rushed, but there is this urgency. It's about prioritizing the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in lives today. That we take the gospel seriously, and then God will be at work in people's hearts, and pastors must be intentional in seeking out that growth, guiding people, shepherding people in that growth that occurs through the Holy Spirit by the power of God in the gospel. 
And so Paul says, you know what, Timothy, I need you to to minister in light of this future reality that Jesus is coming back. But then he also draws attention to something else. He says, it's not just Jesus' return. He also focuses on this eternal kingdom. He says, ministry must be done in light of the eternal kingdom. So that previous word, that Jesus' return, stirs up this urgency. Don't be distracted. Don't, don't miss your priorities in ministry. Don't get complacent. Now we have this word of assurance in times of difficulty. Remember what is happening here with, with Timothy. That he's facing opposition. That opposition is coming from outside the church. It's coming from within the church. And, and he's saying, you know what? If you're being faithful, you're going to face this opposition and it's going to be hard in the moment. Just, just remember the eternal kingdom. When you don't see any tangible fruit from your labors, remember the eternal kingdom. When numbers are, are shrinking and dwindling, remember the eternal kingdom. This is the bedrock of, of Paul's own endurance. He mentions this, this is a few verses later. He's sitting in prison. He's about to die for his faith. He writes this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But Paul says, in spite of all of this hostility, these are people that I once counted as my, as my friends, in spite of my impending death, Paul knows that the Lord Jesus will rescue him. He knows that the Lord Jesus will bring him into his kingdom. And not only that, but when he enters into that eternal kingdom, the Lord will reward his faithfulness. That he may not see fruit now, but the Lord Jesus will see his perseverance and reward it. This is what he says in Verses 7 and 8, which we read earlier. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Pastoral, pastoral ministry is weighty. It's not for the faint of heart. God demands your entire heart. And if you, if you just keep a little bit back, a little bit for yourself. You open your, your, your life up to a world of trouble. He says he's going to hold pastors back or hold them to a higher standard than others. He's going to judge them more strictly. And they must minister in light of this return of Christ, but also in light of his eternal kingdom, that he is gracious and compassionate toward his people. And that includes those who enter into ministry. That's the gravity of this calling. Next, he he talks about the heart of ministry. Verse 2. Preach the word. So this is the charge. I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So he gives this charge, and it's really just five commands, the five commands of this text. That, that's the heart of the pastor's ministry. So we're going to work our way through these five. I'm actually going to combine the last three into to just one. The first one is this, preach the word. This is the pastor's highest calling. It is proclamation. 
We've seen what word means here when he's talking about the word. A few verses earlier, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Earlier in this letter, Paul tells Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. He's also highlighted the importance of proclamation in chapter 2. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, doing what? Rightly handling the word of truth. So at the heart of the pastor's ministry is the word. It's proclamation, proclaiming the word of God. It's to proclaim this message that has been given by God to humanity. This word preach here is, is used to describe a herald. We don't have heralds anymore, do we? We don't need heralds anymore because of technology. Something happens on the other side of the world and we find out about it just about instantly. But in that day, heralds would bring news of the king to far-off reaches of his kingdom, and they were entrusted with a message. Sometimes that message was good news, sometimes that message was bad news, and you know what their job was? It was to just share the message. That's it, share the message. They're not responsible for how people handle the message, how they respond to the message. They're not responsible for anything except for being faithful to that message, but their lives depended upon being actually faithful to that message, being clear with that message, not muddying up the message of the king. And heralds, they're, they're a dying breed today. They're probably an extinct one except for in the church. And Paul tells Timothy that you are a herald. So just remain faithful to the message. You don't have to invent a new message. Sometimes people will come up to me and, and, and say, how do you come up with something new every Sunday? I'm like, I don't. I don't come up with something new. If I did, that's where you should get, find another church. That's a tyranny to just sit in your office every single week and say, wow, what am I going to come up with this week? How am I going to entertain people this week? Where am I going to come up with now after I've, I've, I mean, I've only lived for 30 some years. I don't have all that much wisdom. No, it's, it's not coming up with something new. It's staying faithful to what has been given to us. Preach the word. Next, he gives this other command. He says, be ready in season and out of season. The way I, I look at that is just to, to be faithful when it's easy and when it's hard. Be faithful to this calling to preach the word. Be faithful to the gospel when it's easy and when it's hard, when it's convenient and when it's not. When it's convenient for me and when it's not. When it's convenient for you and it's not convenient for you. You've got to live out this, this calling of, of proclamation. When I'm ready and, and when you're, you're not ready, you got to live this out when, when you are prepared and, and when you're not prepared, when you're feeling it, and when, when you're not feeling it. There's some Sundays that I, I get here early in the morning. I've had a rough week, and, and Crystal knows this. My mindset is, and I've said this way too many times, just get to noon. Just get to noon. The sermon isn't any good. Just... Just get to noon. You have so much on your plate right now. Just, just get to noon. You have so many other things that you've got to accomplish. Just, just get to, to noon. 
And this text rebukes those words. It says, don't, don't say that again. It doesn't matter how, how much you're feeling it or not. Just be a herald. Just proclaim the message. So be faithful when it's easy. Be faithful when it's not. Third, I want to just combine these final three commands. They sum up the totality of, of preaching. When he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, it's really just proclaim the whole counsel of God. Proclaim the whole counsel of God. Some parts of the Bible, some parts of, of the word of God are, are negative. Don't do this. Stop doing that. You are dead in your sins. Some parts are positive. You've been given new life in Christ. You've been raised from the dead. You've been tra- don't be transformed or conformed to this, the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To be faithful as a herald means to proclaim the whole counsel of God. It means to reprove those who are in error. To be faithful is to, to correct those who need correction, rebuke those who need correction. It's, it's to exhort. It's kind of a weird word. It talks about urging, encouraging people strongly to live out obedience to Jesus, live out obedience to the gospel. You see how, how important the word is here to the people of God, not just as individuals, which we kind of looked at the last couple of weeks, but, but the people of God corporately as well, as, as the body of Christ, God has intended for his word to, to be so essential that he says, I want certain people to proclaim it, to share it, to make sure that it is clear to his people. And this is why we gather together corporately on a regular basis. I have friends, friends that I deeply love, admire, actually friends that discipled me when I first became a a Christian. They're not a part of any church. They're not actively involved in any church. But they, they are active in this, this small group that they have. And they argue that the church isn't about corporate gatherings. It's just all about small groups. And so they have their own little gathering that gets together that meets on a regular basis. And, and I can say, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Small groups are a really good thing. They're vital for, for Christian health. But I don't think they're, they're the main thing. The gathering of God's people to sit under the word of God has been God's plan for millennia from the very beginning to sit under the word of God so that we can hear God's word proclaimed. So that way it can reprove us. It can rebuke us. It can exhort us. That we can remind ourselves, that we can sing together the message of the gospel. One of the songs that we do oftentimes here at our church is, is Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. I love that song because of, uh, of the words that it just describes what a Sunday is supposed to be like. That we gather together and we are supposed to remind each other that we are to behold this wondrous mystery of the gospel. And that's what we do as we gather together. And the essential component of that is the proclamation of the word of God for the health and the life of the bride of Christ. But Paul says it's not enough for a pastor to preach. It's not enough to just be faithful. It's not enough to preach the whole counsel of God, he, he says, all of this is for naught if it's not coupled with complete patience. 
with careful instruction. Spiritual transformation is slow work. And, and I, I speak from personal experience, not as, not as a pastor observing a congregation. This is Jordan observing his own life. Spiritual transformation and progress oftentimes looks like three steps forward and four steps back. Or three steps forward and two steps back, sometimes when I'm, when I'm lucky. It is slow work. And it has to be covered in patience. Patience with the church, but also patience with God. The God who is the one who works in his people's lives. That we would allow him to work on his own timetable. So this ministry has to be covered with complete patience. It also is coupled with careful teaching. Part of opening up the Bible on a regular basis is proclamation. And part of that proclamation is instruction, training others, helping people understand how do we actually read the Bible. If you wonder why we go through a book of the Bible at a time on Sunday mornings, this is part of it. We're just, well, one, it's easier for me, but also it's, it's because then we see how we are supposed to read the Bible. It's a form of, of careful instruction so that we can be a people who co- corporately as well as individuals can be ever more faithful to the Bible. Understand it better that the Holy Spirit can work in us more fully. So this is the heart of, of pastoral ministry. It's, it's word-based through and through. And, and Paul, is, he's in these verses, he's giving this charge to pastors. He says, this is the gravity of pastoral ministry. This is, this is the heart of pastoral ministry. If we were to just sum up these two verses this morning, it'd simply be like, something like this. A, a faithful pastor lives his life in the presence of God, holding forth the word of God to the people of God. That's what, that's what it means to be a faithful pastor. A faithful pastor lives his life in the presence of God, holding forth the word of God to the people of of God. And that is the application for our pastors here at Crosswinds. In a way, it's, it's the application for our elders to be faithful, living your life in the presence of God, being careful with the Word of God for the people of God. Those who are, are feeling this, this calling into pastoral ministry, this is what it looks like, this is what it means. To apply this passage is just to be faithful to the word of God. Live your life in light of the presence of God. But what about those who aren't pastors? Which would be the majority of us here this morning. How do we, how do we apply this text into our lives? How do we, what, what does this passage mean for us? A lot of thoughts. I want to just look at three and briefly. First one is this. This means that we make Sundays a priority. This means that we make Sundays gathering together as a priority. We gather together to hear the proclaimed word of God, to hear the message of the scriptures. This is, this is the purpose of gathering together. If God's plan for the church involves all that we have just looked at regarding pastors— says, I want you to, to be faithful as a herald, then we should gather together to actually hear the message of the gospel. This is essential to Christian health. Second, this makes it our responsibility to have the right heart posture when we gather together on Sundays. Have the right heart posture when we gather together on Sundays. 
Sundays are hard, especially uh, for my wife on my family, because I'm usually gone before the kids get up. And the weight of getting children ready for a service on time falls almost completely, not almost completely, it falls completely on her shoulders. It is hard, but if we truly understand the importance of the Sunday gathering, if we truly make it a priority that we want to be a people that hear from God, that we want to hear from his word, then we will take the time to prepare our hearts for worship. That we would, we would pray for ourselves. We would pray for those who are going to be sitting next to us, even if we don't know who's going to be sitting next to us when we gather together. That we would hear the word of God proclaimed. That we should not be distracted we shouldn't be mentally running through our to-do list on a Sunday afternoon. Annie Dillard, she describes how insane it is to gather together and do what we are doing. She says this, On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so casually invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should handle, hand out life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. When we gather together on Sunday, we worship the living God of the cosmos, and we should take that seriously, and we should pray for God to prepare our hearts to hear his word. Finally, this means it's, it's also your responsibility, our responsibility, to pray for the proclamation of God's word. To pray for the proclamation of God's word. Question for you to wrestle with. Um, how often do you pray for the Sunday sermon throughout the week. The sermon you are about to hear, the sermon you just heard. How often do you pray for that? Many of you pray for me, you pray for my family. I'm so grateful for that. That's not what I'm talking about. How often do you pray for the preaching of God's word? How often do you pray that, that what you hear on Sunday would, would make a lasting impact in your life, in the lives of those who are sitting around you. I'm not saying don't pray for a good sermon. I don't even know what a good sermon is. Crystal and I have this conversation all the time. I think the sermon's bad and she says it's good. I think it's good and she thinks it's bad. Don't pray for a good sermon. Pray instead that God would use his word to convict to comfort, to bring about life change in your life. That God would use his word through his spirit to bring about lasting obedience in the, path, in the path of Christ. See, the reality is if a herald is doing his job, you're not hearing his voice. If the herald is being clear, you're not hearing the herald's voice. You're hearing the voice of the king. And if I'm a faithful pastor, living my life in the presence of God, holding forth the word of God to the people of God, then people will encounter and see 
and hear Jesus. Pray that that would be the case. Pray that that would be the case. I, I, I'm a, as a pastor, this probably doesn't surprise you, I have a fair number of Bibles. This is my preaching Bible. So this is just the Bible I only really use for preaching and, and for sermon prep. And in the front of it, I have written these words, and I don't expect you to be able to see them. Um, it's just a, a saying that actually comes from a Scottish tradition. When they had pulpits in Scotland, there would be a plaque at the front of the pulpit that said, Sir, we would see Jesus. And it was just this phrase. It comes, I don't remember exactly where in John, but these Greeks, they come to Philip, and, and Philip introduces them to Jesus, and they, they just go to Philip, and they say, Sir, we would see Jesus. I mean, that's what we want. We just want to encounter Jesus. And so Philip brings him. And this was put in the plaques of, uh, or in the pulpits of, of all of these Scottish churches just, hey, you know what, that, that's the focus, pastor. The people are gathering together not to hear you, not to be entertained. They just, they just want to see Jesus. And so I, I wrote that in my Bible, because we don't have a pulpit, but I wrote that in my Bible as a reminder to myself of what we do when we gather together, of what my responsibility is as a herald, that we would see Jesus. And I would, I would add, if, if the pastor's faithful, it doesn't matter if they're skilled or not, if they're a good communicator or not, if they're being faithful to the word of God, that we would actually hear Jesus as well, hear his message to his people. A pastor, a faithful pastor, is one who lives his life in the presence of God, holding forth the word of God, a word of God to the people of God. Let's be a church that takes us seriously, that we are word-based through and through, committed to the word of God, both as individuals and corporately as well. Let's pray. Father, I, um, I, I thank you for your word. Such a precious gift. Oftentimes a challenging one. I thank you for the grace of the gospel. That there's grace for imperfect pastors such as myself. Help us, Lord, to be ever more faithful, ever more focused on you. Draw us near, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.